Hi, I'm Mark Lynch, director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the Pullmaps Middle East Books podcast, where we talk to leading authors in the field. Uh, with us today is Mark Thompson, uh, a non-resident fellow at the King Faisal Center for Research in Islamic Studies in Riyadh, and the author of a brand new book, Being Young, Male, and Saudi, Identity Politics in a Globalized Kingdom. Uh, Mark, uh, welcome to Pullmaps. Thank you very much for the invitation. So tell us a little bit about the book. What, what were you trying to accomplish with the book? And what do you think the major contributions of the book are to our understanding of the kingdom? Uh, what I was trying to accomplish was the fact that outside of Saudi Arabia, um, people tend to look at these sort of socioeconomic, sociocultural transformations that are happening in the kingdom, particularly in the West, really through the prism of what's happening to Saudi women. And um, they get all the attention, whereas the young men sort of get disregarded and yet their side of the story is as equally as important and actually informs us about the current role of Saudi women. So I think it was the, the main goal of this book was to give a voice to uh, a very wide variety of young Saudi men across the kingdom about how they feel about living in today's contemporary Saudi Arabia, their aspirations, their mm -hmm. concerns. And it, it's, it's really quite extraordinary, the, uh, the, uh, the, your ability to generate all of this information. Tell us about the focus groups and about the, the, the empirical basis yeah. of the book. Yes, well, I mean, I've lived in Saudi Arabia for a long time, and um, so obviously I understand sort of how, how Saudi society works. And Saudi Arabia, of course, is an incredibly social society where sort of meeting and chatting and sitting around and having tea and coffee, I mean, this is the norm and this is what you do. So I realized that um, in order for me to achieve my goals and to sort of to be able to talk to as many young men from different walks of life as possible, that the best way to do this would be to actually do this through informal social focus groups, um, which I arranged um, right across the kingdom. It took about a year to do 50 or 60 of these focus groups. And um, I went to them rather than asking them to come to me, of course. And we met in very social environments. So we met in the Istiraha, we met on the beach, we met in the park, you know, we met in the desert, we went camping, we, you know, all the sorts of things were, were in fact normal for them. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, the topics that we were discussing were topics that they were sort of discussing anyway. So by making it sort of social and informal, um, and I didn't record any of these focus groups because that changes the dynamic. For sure. So I only took notes, and of course I ended up with around 90,000 words of notes from these focus groups. Uh, but by making it social, people were a lot more relaxed um, and a lot less sort of concerned about discussing these issues. Um, and I thought I thought it was I thought it was very impressive that you made a point of not just like going to the convenient places, no. the uh, the you know in Riyadh, but actually went all over the country yes. and, and convened different socioeconomic classes yes. and absolutely. And but the thing is, you know, even though I did, you know, when I say I did a focus group in Riyadh, I did multiple focus groups in Riyadh because I met different constituencies, different types of young Saudis from different sort of backgrounds, different whether those are socioeconomic backgrounds employment, educational backgrounds. So I made a point of sort of meeting these different groups. Uh, and that was the same, obviously, in Jeddah and in, in the Eastern Province. Obviously, I met lots of different people from different places. I When I went to Katif, for example, I didn't just go to Katif. You know, I had focus groups from Sehat and Safwa and Tarut and Awamiya. 
because there are differences mm. within Katif itself. And, and so that for me was, was something that was very important. And I do feel that there is this tendency for, you know, people, whether it's researchers or journalists or policy makers, you know, they sort of go to Riyadh and sort of see the same people, as it were, and, and you really sort of don't get out of the echo chamber. Yeah. And I felt that, you know, I needed to go to Kasim and Asir and Jauf and the North and, and Afladj and sort of the places that nobody ever goes to, right. really, and talk to the young men there because their um, opinions are as, you know, equally valid as, say, somebody at King Saud mm -hmm. University. And not activists, too, which I think is very interesting yes. and important. Yes, exactly. I wanted to talk to, you know, young men from a whole variety of backgrounds who, you know, who are sort of already sort of discussing the future about and who are, you know, excited, concerned, apprehensive. Mm -hmm. Um, about you know their future inside Saudi Arabia, and for that reason, I needed to talk to you know lots of people that I think a lot of other researchers maybe wouldn't talk to, like National Guard soldiers in Kasim or right. or Sharia law students from Mecca, um, uh, unemployed mm -hmm. young men from places like Afladj, so sort of three hours south of Riyadh. I mean, this to me was very important, and what. I mean, what I found fascinating was that <clears throat> these young men outside of the elite, the academic elite circles, or they, you know, what they had to say was as equally as important mm -hmm. as anyone else I talked to. And in fact, it was quite striking how politically aware a lot of these young men were and how they, how aware they were of the, the socioeconomic issues that are affecting Saudi Arabia today and indeed might affect their futures. So I, you know, I also conducted surveys, of course, and I did individual interviews, but those were very much to support mm -hmm. the qualitative data from these research, uh, these focus groups. And so as I say, I, I just feel that, you know, when this is how Saudi works. And so therefore, I feel that, you know, you yeah. should you should do research that fits the context. And these, you know, when I set up the focus groups um, through my sort of fairly extensive network in the kingdom, you know, I was often asked, you know, how long is this going to last? And I'd say around an hour. Well, it was never an hour. <laughs> it was three hours, seven hours, all night, several days sometimes. But that's because that's how I wanted it to be. That's, so one of the things that by looking at all these different places mm. and different classes, obviously the book is able to capture a mm. lot of variation yes. and, uh, and, that, and that's really important. Mm. But before we go there, let's talk about kind of the big picture. Let's, let's generalize mm. in the way you tell mm. us not to. Yes. Okay. Um, what, what did you find were like the major things that were on the minds of these young men? What, what were the most pressing issues for them, even if they might not be for us? Um, that's an easy question to answer because uh, everywhere I went in the kingdom, um, regardless of who I spoke to, where they were from, the number one issue was employment. Um, and that actually is not new. It's been, that's, I would say, that has really been the number one issue since the sort of post-2014 oil crash. Um, but th no, employment is, is the mm -hmm. biggest, biggest issue, followed by affordable housing, followed by uh, cost of living, education, the cost of getting married and things mm -hmm. like this. So actually, if you look at those, those are all interlinked. Because if you don't have a job, 
you can't afford to get married, you can't afford to get a house, you can't afford to rent a house. So you can you can understand mm -hmm. how employment or unemployment or underemployment even are sort of is the main yeah. issue. So like survey research uh, mm. easily captures mm. that part of it that that mm. employment is mm. the you know and mm. jobs and, mm. and economic stuff mm. is always at the top of people's mm. priorities, not just in Saudi Arabia, no. but everywhere in the Arab world, probably everywhere in the in world. The world yes. But what's interesting about your focus groups is that you're able to delve into what the meaning of work, what, what yes. does employment mean for yes. these young men? Tell us a little bit about that. I found that fascinating. Yes. I mean, obviously, um, I think one of the biggest issues in Saudi Arabia for, you know, the last couple of decades is, has been this sort of um, belief about jobs for life in the public sector and in fact that 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 is still an issue as well um, you have the government of course trying to promote greater private sector employment um, but that of course is a problem still because actually the number of nationals going into the private sector is actually dropping rather than increasing as it should be in line with uh, vision 2030 I do think, though, that um, as a sort of every cloud has a silver lining, if you like, and because of the uh, after the oil price dropped in 2014, that really was a big wake up call for a lot of, uh, of Saudis. Um, for example, at my university that I was working at then at King Fahad University of Petroleum and Minerals, which is the elite academic university in Saudi Arabia <clears throat> pre 2014, my students, when they graduated, received at least five or six job offers, all of them. Post the oil price collapse, they were receiving none, and particularly in some sectors such as chemical engineering. Uh, and so this really sort of changed people's attitudes to work. And one thing that I have seen in the last couple of years is that sort of the, sort of the mentality is changing amongst a lot of these young people and that is both male and female um, but a lot of young men are no longer so you know they're not as reluctant these days to sort of take jobs that uh, until a few years ago would have been almost taboo you know and so the fact is now you see Saudis working in, you know, in all sorts of places, doing all sorts of jobs that you would never have seen them doing those things before. And I think it's partly necessity. Um, it's partly the changing sort of mentalities as well. I think there's a realisation amongst a lot of young people that, you know what, you know, just doing any sort of job when you graduate is better than doing nothing. Mm -hmm. It's something you can put on your CV. This also accounts for the huge rise in volunteering in Saudi Arabia, which has become a massive trend as well. So I think it's very positive that amongst this sort of 20-something generation, the way that they see work is starting to change and the way that they see their careers is starting to change. And, you know, they, they realise it's not simply a case of graduating and going to work for mm -hmm. Aramco or Sabic or what have you in, or some other public sector job and they stay there until they retire. In fact, a lot of these young Saudis now are sort of, you know, having, getting a job and then moving on after a year and going to do something else. But it, the, we saying that, um, of course, there is still this sort of sociocultural problem in that a lot of people consider you know a public sector job to be extremely important because of the job security mm -hmm. that that offers mm -hmm. and very often without that job security then that makes other things problematic such as getting married 
so startups and working in the private sector and things, this is exciting and people like that, but they're still in the back of their mind all the time is this sort of, mm -hmm. you know, well, I need job security and therefore I need to, um, you know, to, to, to get a job in the public sector. Um, so last year, or maybe two years ago, lose track, um, you wrote this great little piece for us mm. drawing on the book on mm. focusing on the housing yes, issue right. and mm. the affordability of mm. appropriate housing. Mm. And of course, as you said, these are all interlinked, mm. the marriage, the employment and the mm. like. But talk a little bit about housing and how that factors into all of this. Yes, I mean, because obviously for, 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 you know, a lot of young men are very concerned. This is something they're very concerned about as well, because if they, get, you know, they obviously at around a certain age, they are expected to get married. Uh, and they need to be able to have a job, but they also need to have somewhere to live, you know. It might be that they can live with their families sometimes, but obviously as so many of these young people have to move to the cities anyway uh, to find employment, in particular Riyadh, and that accounts for now you have a population of nearly 8 million people in Riyadh, you know, so you need to find somewhere to live. Um, rents, buying a house has been very difficult, but very expensive. So a lot of people have been renting, of course, particularly if you come from a not so wealthy background. Um, that has actually, the renting situation in the cities has improved a little bit um, in the last sort of couple of years due to the um, expats leaving because of the visa oh. dependency fees. So a lot more actual affordable uh, um, housing has actually come on the market because of that um, and I think um, you know certainly a lot of young people if you sort of you, you know a young man's got a job in Riyadh or maybe his wife also has got a job in Riyadh they now realize that you know you know they ha might have to live in an apartment for a couple of years before they move to sort of the traditional house but and that's less taboo than it used to be it's less taboo now but of course there is still this sort of you know again people sort of thinking about needing the big house with the majlis for the men and the majlis for the women and and all of this sort of thing but uh, you know it's it's the cost of all of this that is if you come from a wealthy mm -hmm. background that's fine but we, as we know you know most Saudis don't and the cost of all of this is is you know can be enormous I mean mm -hmm. um, the cost of getting married is just ridiculous you know and and, and I think a lot of these young men end up um, you know, having to take out loans for things like paying their rent or settling down, getting all the furniture and things like this. Mm -hmm. If they don't, you know, if they can't rely on their family circle uh, and then they get they get saddled with debt. So in terms of then the, the overall political economy of all of this, then is it linked then to the decline of this rentier model, the patronage, clientelistic model? Do you see an evidence from talking to these young mm. men of a kind of a move beyond that kind of expectation that they'll be provided for by the state towards more entrepreneurial uh, forms? Or is there still this residual sense of of this patronage system? No, there is still a residual sense of the patronage system, without a doubt. Um, you, you do have the entrepreneurial trend and the startups and more people going to work in the private sector. And as I said, the sort of the mentality changing and attitudes to employment changing. But there is still this in the background constantly, this idea mm -hmm. that the state will provide, you know, that, that, that jobs for life are still going to be there. And I think that, you know, that accounts for the fact that numbers of Saudis going into the private sector are dropping, unfortunately. Right. Um, I did a paper um, which was published in January 
uh, the, um, the British Journal of Middle East Studies, where I did a survey of um, students at my old university at King Fahad University and also at Kasim University. And I asked them if they were offered a job in the public and private sector, and that job had the same salaries and the same benefits and the same anything, which one would they choose? Would they choose public or mm -hmm. private? Um, at King Fahad University, where, you know, where obviously there's a lot of business students, it was 50% still wanted to have public sector jobs. At Kasim University, it was 80% wow. still wanted a public sector job. Now, which one of those two universities is more representative of the kingdom? It's Kasim University, because obviously King Fahad University is a very specialised right. academic institution. So if you have 80% still in the back of their mind, this idea of public sector employment, you know, then, then that's really out of sync with what the government and Vision 2030 uh, mm -hmm. is trying to promote. So it's, yes, it's still there, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of young people, young men, for example, I know a lot of them um, who, you know, they might graduate and go to work for a startup or go into the private sector, go to work for consultancy or something like this. But in the back of their mind, you know, it's moving, you know, at a certain point, for example, when I decide to get married, you know, it's moving, then security. wanting to, yes, job security. Because when I asked in those, when I did that paper about the public and private sector, when I asked those who all said, you know, public sector, when I asked them why they wanted to do that, I think it was almost 100% answers, job security, job security. Private sector was about personal growth and things like this, but it was all, the other side was all job security. So let me just shift gears a little bit. So a lot of the uh, the kind of the high profile things that the the government has done lately have focused on the entertainment sector yes. and you know changing social and cultural yes. life. How important is that to the men that you were talking about? Well, we're talking to. Yes. Well, um, I when I was teaching, when I was still teaching at the university and all of this was going on, you know, I, I taught them the expression, you know, the novelty wears off. <laughs> and because obviously when it first started, it was terribly exciting, you know, and there's all of these things happening and things that you nobody ever thought that they would see happen in Saudi Arabia and, and huge social change. But that is very much secondary. Um, it's, in my opinion, very much bread and circuses. Um, and it doesn't go anywhere near to addressing sort of the main core issues, the structural mm -hmm. issues like employment and housing and everything. So whilst a lot of these young people, these young men, depending on where you are, you know, are happy to see a loosening of social restrictions, are happy to see entertainment as long as it's compatible with norms and Islamic teachings. Mm -hmm. That's something I think is still very important, particularly amongst the non-urban elites. Um, so whilst they're sort of happy about that, you know, at the same time, they will say things or they used to say things to me like, well, that's all very well, but if I don't have a job, I can't afford to even get by the petrol for the car to go to the cinema, let alone buy mm -hmm. a cinema ticket. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it, it's, it, again, I think it depends on who you're talking to and where you're talking to, but I would say that it, it, it's secondary. You know, it's important, but it's secondary because, as I say, if you can't afford to do these right. things, then, 
then <laughs> it's irrelevant to you, isn't it? And in fact, if you can't afford to do these things and these things are happening and it's all on social media and everything like that, that actually is a recipe for sort of, re you know, resentment mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. cynicism and things like that. Well, what about then, you know, so the book wasn't about women. And no. I think and I think that the focus mm. on the male experience mm. is extremely interesting and important. Mm. But what do the men think about what's happening with the women? <laughs> In other words, what do they think about the, the relaxing of the ban on driving mm. and the increase in women's employment mm. and, and, and mm. kind of the shifting social norms? Um, how are they responding to those social changes? Uh, the women going into employment was was I think pretty much everybody agreed was a good thing, and I think obviously that's partly economic necessity, mm -hmm. and and also uh, a lot of young men, you know, would say things to me like, well, what's the point in spending all of this money on education if you're not actually going to actually use your human capital for sort of national development? So in, women's employment wasn't a problem, and in fact. Um, when women went to work in public in Saudi Arabia in 2014, I mean, that was a really big shock. You know, that was the thing that, that you, suddenly you saw things, you saw women working in sort of places that you would never have expected before. And once that happened and that was accepted and it sort of died down, then it was inevitable that the driving would come. So the driving, when it actually came, was not as big an issue as, say, mm -hmm. it would have been sort of 10 years before. And of course, once it happened, and you know, after a couple of days, people sort of forgot about it. And in fact, you know, we didn't actually see many women driving for several months afterwards because they had to go through the whole process of getting licenses and everything like that. I actually spent about three months driving around Saudi Arabia looking for a woman driver. <laughs> I can't find any anywhere. Um, but now it's changed. So, no, that that that's, you know, that was, that, that I think that's yeah. been generally accepted. Uh, um, of course... There are, you know, I think, you know, a lot of Saudi men would, I'd ask them, for example, you know, when you're online, because they're online 24-7, as we know, you know, you know, do you, you know, do you have female friends, do the people you talk to and women you talk to and things like this and have said, they say, yes, of course, and everything like that. And then I would sort of say, well, you know, would you marry one of those? And very often they would say no, you know, because... Yes, exactly. So you've got this sort of contradiction between, mm -hmm. if you like, this sort of sort of globalized online identities and sort of a lot of the time what they feel that they should be doing because mm -hmm. of sociocultural sort of norms. Um, when I asked the majority of young men that I asked right across the kingdom, when we talked about marriage, for example, which, of course, was a you know something that everybody wanted to talk about, um, the vast majority of them were quite happy to have, you know, to ask their female relatives when they were ready to get married to go and find somebody who they felt would be suitable. It better, if it was their sister, it was much better because she had a better understanding of them as a person. So that was something that they, um, you know, they, they, they were quite mm -hmm. happy with. Um, but they also used to say, and it was a big but, and I heard this over and over again, but we need to get, have the chance to get to know the person that we're going to marry so because because the one a lot of what they're worried about of course is divorce and divorce rates in Saudi Arabia have increased uh, and most well I think it's about 50% of divorces happen in the first year of marriage uh, and as I mentioned before I mean mar you know getting married is incredibly expensive mm -hmm. at times 
Um, and a lot of young men who don't come from wealthy backgrounds have to take out bank loans to get married and what have you. So if you get divorced in the first year, I mean, then again, you're sort of saddled with a debt. So, uh, you know, so I think it, it, it was, yeah, we're fi it's not so that was, I thought was interesting because that wasn't so much about social change as about social adaptation mm -hmm. so we're still keeping things but we're sort of just sort of tweaking them to something that's more in tune with sort of contemporary Saudi Arabia um, a friend of mine who's from Anasa in Kasim um, and who PhD from uh, an American University very globalized you know works in Riyadh and what have you and then when he you know he around he was around 30 and he contacted me and he said I'm getting married and I said okay congratulations and he said I'm getting married to somebody from Anasa of course because that's my hometown and I know him well enough to sort of talk to him you mm -hmm. know sort of uh, on a personal level and I said oh, how do you feel about that you know and he said well he said it's fine because it's who we are and I thought that was yeah. that that really summed up something there for me um I do hear from a lot well I did hear and I still hear from a lot of young men about they're not always very comfortable with the way that they see young women behaving for example in public I mean the when the Korean boy band mm -hmm, came mm -hmm. to Riyadh I mean I asked my students the next day about this and I think around 70 to 80 percent of them were not very happy with what they'd seen online um, which is um, you know I, I sort of understand in a way um, but I think that also leads to a very serious problem um, regarding gender relations in Saudi Arabia and then that is that you have an education system that is still single gender and a lot of these young men would say to me well look you know they'd say we go to you know we go to university we're in all-male campuses which are a hundred percent all male all the secretaries all the cleaners all the cooks everybody's a man yes and then we leave university and we go into employment and suddenly increasingly we find ourselves in mixed gender environments uh, and we're not and that is something that we're actually not used to so it's a lot of, I thought it was very interesting that that a lot of these young men would say to me you know they actually understood that they would actually say you know we don't really we don't really know how to engage properly, yes? And so I, I, I do think that, that, that that's sort of the mismatch with the, the labour market mm -hmm. and the education system is something that's quite critical. I, you know, I think it will change as we see, you know, already at my, my, my the former university I worked at, they just last year, they just started to accept female undergraduate, uh, sorry, female postgraduates, you know, so that's hmm. a, a move forward, yes. Fascinating. Well, we've been speaking with Mark Thompson uh, from the King Faisal Center, the author of this fabulous new book, Being Young, Male, and Saudi, just published by Cambridge University Press. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you very much for the invitation.